America loves football. Pro football. And the very, 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 very highest of the highest level of college football. And that's about it. It's what we found out unscientifically last spring with Division I AA football, which we love. That is great football, a great level of football. Division I AA had the entire nation all to itself, actual football games for three months in the spring. And the broadcast windows and the ratings seem to indicate little to no interest. Division I AA football, I'm serious. We love that, that level, all levels of football. That is great football. 49ers fans, the guy you're pinning the future of the franchise on. Not that one, the one who's actually playing. Trey Lance, the quarterback you just drafted out of North Dakota State in Division I AA. This is, we should stop the podcast right now because this is uh, this is going to drive me crazy. On the local TV, the, has this caught on? It's a pun where you work the name Trey Lance into some sort of dawning of an era reference. But I can't remember what he said. And I don't, has this caught on? Are people actually saying this on the street and at pay phones? The train of an era? The lancing of an era? I don't know. It was catchy, but I don't know if it's uh, caught on. The yearbook, Internet Sportscast is what this is. I am Doug. If you have a podcast that you haven't touched in six years, you haven't recorded a new, a new episode in six years, you have five times the listeners we do. This sucks. Not that, this. We're talking about baseball. It seems like with baseball, we always wind up talking about the same thing. But this is a, this is a positive, though. I'm always fascinated, and I really am fascinated. If you listen to or watch something, people are talking about Star Wars or politics or whatever, they're always fascinated to see some. I am fascinated. This is a fascinating thing that we're going to be looking. I'm fascinated to see this. No one is fascinated by what they're talking about. And they certainly are not fascinated by what they're talking about. That gets thrown out a lot. But I actually am fascinated in the potential upstarts who could win the World Series in the most unlikely sport for upstarts to win a championship, baseball. That is not a backhanded compliment. It's true, but it is cool when Cinderella's do break through, like the 2015 Royals. Although pretty much everyone expected the 2015 Royals to win the World Series. Think about that. That is a huge accomplishment for a team with a payroll in the bottom half of 2015 payrolls to be a foregone conclusion to win the championship. So, with only like seven weeks left in the season, contenders in baseball seem pretty well cemented into place. If you like underdogs, the biggest story would again be the Rays. Last year, with the third cheapest roster in all of baseball, the Rays went all the way to the World Series. This year, the Rays have the third best record in all of baseball so far, with the fifth cheapest roster in all of baseball. The Rays are the definition of a Cinderella. But this is not a surprise. Since last season, we're talking in the middle of 2020. People were already talking about 2021. Since last season, Tampa was thought to be a prohibitive favorite in 2021, but then in the offseason, the Rays took a roster that seemed like a foregone conclusion and subtracted a little from it. So the fact that they're good again is not surprising, but are they still good enough to win a title? That's the question that we've been wondering about since the very beginning of the last offseason. So obviously it's taken a while, nearly a year now, to answer this question. We'll see what happens. So that would be the biggest story. But the biggest surprise is 
would be the Brewers and the Reds. In a division where have-nots, the Brewers, Reds, and Pirates are mixed in with haves, the Cardinals and Cubs, the have-nots are winning. The Reds have the 16th highest payroll in MLB, which is at the top of the bottom half of the league. Yeah, they're fighting the Dodgers and Padres, payrolls number one and number eight, respectively, for a wild card spot. The Brewers have even cheaper players, the 12th cheapest roster in baseball, but they're even better. The Brewers have MLB's fourth best record. Cleveland is only right around 500, but considering ex-Clevelander Francisco Lindor told Sports Illustrated the rest of the league shouldn't have to spend money to bail out Cleveland. And Cleveland does have MLB's smallest payroll of all this year. Cleveland is really sticking it to everyone just by hanging around in the wild card race. The low-revenue Mariners are another Cinderella. And the amazing, and I don't throw that around lightly, it's true, the amazing perpetual Cinderella athletics, don't call them the A's, or Cinderella number six. Unfortunately... That's where all that good news ends. So far, there are only six potential playoff teams that could be an actual surprise. And the trend where low-revenue teams just keep replacing each other in the playoffs instead of grabbing more playoff spots, a bigger share of the playoffs, that might unfortunately continue. Last year's playoffs had Cinderella's Cleveland, the Brewers, Reds, Rays, Athletics, Twins, Jays, and Marlins. So far this year, Cleveland, the Brewers, Reds, Rays, and Athletics could all return. The Mariners might replace the Twins, and there would be two fewer low-revenue teams in the playoffs than last year. IndyCar has an IndyCar problem. The comment was made during Saturday's race that the drivers came back from having seven weeks off essentially driving like maniacs, which would be an unforeseen consequence of having seven weeks off. Now, I say that, but you watch a race, you're going to say, boring, nothing's happening. I'm going back to watching that F1 thing on Netflix. Talking about podiums and stuff from Netflix. Did that, did that, P6, P4 thing. Did that come from the Netflix series? Let's start with F1. Did F1 through Netflix inflict that on the... I actually like that, but they, did they inflict that on the world or did that come from IndyCar? If you watch an IndyCar race, uh, the, the driver's teams are telling them, okay, you're in P7, your big competition is in P10, meaning you're in seventh place, uh, the guy you're chasing in points is in 10th place, or you're in P2, he's in P4. You know, where's Newgarden? Where's Newgarden? You're in P2, he's in P4. You know, you're in second place, he's in fourth place. They say it all the time in IndyCar, but did that come from, again, that F1 series that's like the most watched series in the history of uh, anything? Anyway, you watch a race, I say this, and then you watch a race, and you're like, there's no mayhem, I was promised mayhem. Now, it doesn't look like mayhem. It doesn't look like bedlam. And the problem in IndyCar is a little bit subtle. What's happening is in the three race, in the three races, I should say, since the seven weeks off, there have been several incidents that looked like obvious penalties where IndyCar could penalize a driver by sending him through the pits or dropping him back a few spots or something like that, whatever. But none of the incidents have been penalized and the incidents going unpenalized could be the reason that the incidents keep happening. The most blatant example, in my opinion, came at Indianapolis just about two weeks ago. Ryan hunter Ray, you can call him RHR and sound like you know what you're talking about. Ryan hunter Ray and Sebastian Bourdais were going back and forth 
around the road course competing for position when Bourdais appeared to not even pretend he was actually racing anymore. And he just plowed Hunter Ray all the way off track onto the grass. Last Saturday night gave us the second most blatant incident in which early on, Joseph Newgarden cut down on teammate Simon Pagano and sheared off part of the front of Pagano's car. Yeah, Newgarden probably would have won anyway, but it turns out that was the race. Newgarden won while Pagano's car was somehow fixed, and heroically, Pagano fought his way all the way back to eighth place. Really fantastic, but with that car, he had no shot at a Newgarden-Pagano rematch. A week earlier, Newgarden pushed Takuma Sato out of the way, gaining two positions on Sato late in that race. And there have been several other incidents, including a big wreck on Saturday night. So, pretty much all the run-ins that we just described, except for Hunter Ray Bourdais, they are all open to debate. I mean, in order to win... Drivers obviously have to take chances and get aggressive. And no one wants to watch races where all the cars stay at least six feet apart. But, of course, how aggressive is too aggressive? And when does aggressive become gamesmanship? And when does gamesmanship become cheating? But the last three weeks have at least given the appearance that drivers are doing whatever they want with no intervention from IndyCar. That Bourdais was not deemed to be headhunting is crazy. And if he wasn't, and Hunter Ray instigated it, penalize him or both. Pagano had earlier felt like his own teammates were taking advantage of him. And he essentially said he wouldn't take that lying down. Then his teammate immediately sawed off the front of Pagano's car Saturday night. Warning people in driver's meetings before the race, which might be happening or might about to be starting to happen. That's not good enough. IndyCar appears to have lost some control of the season over the last three races. IndyCar now has three races left to regain control of the season. <laughs>